You're listening to Menders with clinical psychologist and leadership consultant, Dr. Nicola DePaul. Each week, get a dose of real-world inspiration from free-thinking leaders, top clinicians, healthcare innovators, and myself. Looking for quick fixes or standard management tools? Try someplace else. Motivated to maximize the resilience and diversity of your team? Sustain your momentum as a leader and transform your healthcare system? Welcome to Menders. Well, welcome to this special season of Menders. This is the how-to season, how to make your healthcare organization sustainable, resilient, and just simply a joy to be a part of. We're going to be talking about creating well-being within your healthcare system and really focusing on how to sustain your momentum as a healthcare leader. So I'm going to just share uh, a little bit about myself and why this is really important to me. So as you probably have all heard at this point, I'm a clinical psychologist. I'm also a transformational coach, and I work with healthcare leadership teams to promote well-being, employee engagement, transformation within their healthcare system, uh, or at least within departments within large healthcare systems. And for me, my journey into clinician well-being and health systems well-being started long before I was actually a clinician. So I got interested in health systems capacity building uh, back in the day before I even went back to graduate school as I was working in a leadership development program at the University of Washington. And I really fell in love with sustainable leadership and capacity building. And this particular program had a very relational focused model of leadership, and it was focused on individuals, health, uh, public health professionals and healthcare professionals kind of in the middle of their career, but also working internationally throughout the world. So I was able to see how these elements of sustainable leadership, relational leadership, and bringing love, care, and nourishment into leadership within healthcare applied both within the United States and, you know, all over the world. So so from my personal experience, what I'm going to be sharing with you today over the course of the next 10 episodes and just my my overall frame of how I think about love and leadership and healthcare really is embedded in that time of seeing these concepts applied internationally. And I'm talking about um, some pretty diverse circumstances. So um, back in the day, I was working with a lot of folks from different parts of Africa and East Asia, uh, Latin America, South America. So that's kind of my general framework. Hey, Menders, if you're listening to this and you're a healthcare leader struggling to get a handle on the metrics that matter and you're motivated to improve employee engagement, workplace satisfaction, and overall well-being, listen up. Whether you have a tiny system or a large, complex department, 
there is a clear path you can take to go from burnout culture to cultural renewal. Go to mendinghealthsystems.com to check out my organizational well being assessment. This mini course will walk you through an organizational self evaluation that will help you identify your next steps to boost organizational well being today. So pause this episode and head to mendinghealthsystems.com right now. But for me personally, I started thinking about clinician well-being or healthcare well-being as a graduate student. It was always a pretty interesting topic to me, and I decided to take my foundation in leadership development and then look at employee well-being, employee performance, and what organizations could do to really take care of their people. And my interest started out uh, looking at people who were outside of their home environment. So healthcare and humanitarian aid workers who were working in countries that didn't belong to them or that they did not call home. And so I started looking at, well, what's the relationship between the sending organization in their home country and the organization on the ground that's housing these folks, that's meeting their everyday needs, that's the place where day-to-day relationships um, are formed, come into being, where these people are really spending the, uh, the majority of their time, and what matters most. And so I just got curious about that, started to explore that, did some research into that. And what I found was that the organization that was hosting these healthcare and humanitarian aid workers, um, or the organization where they were finding belonging and community in their work, so wherever they were living, that's the organization that really mattered. So these organizations were creating community and home for these healthcare professionals. And knowing that has always stuck with me. So I want to just take a moment and really let this sink in with you. The organization, or in our case, we really could say team is the host environment. So the the tiniest unit and the most local unit has the most powerful impact on our employees. And I'm highlighting this because sometimes we get distracted and we think about leadership as being the person at the absolute top or the people who, you know, manage an organization at a national level. And obviously those people are critically important. They set policies. They may even have some impact on the culture of the organization. But what they don't do is have that intimate day-to-day leadership impact at the team level. And that's really where you come in. So wherever you're at within your organization, I want you to just take a moment and reflect, where do I sit in the team, in the hierarchy, in the organization, and think about who am I influencing every day and who are my direct reports influencing if you have them. So whether you're a manager, an executive, you know, wherever you're at, recognize that it's the people who you interact with on a day-to-day basis that you have the most ability to influence for good or for bad. 
So when we're thinking about transforming an organization and working to improve employee engagement, employee well-being, workplace satisfaction, a culture of trust, caring, shall we say love, it really starts with these intimate relationships where people are interacting with others on a day-to-day basis. So I really just want to highlight that and make sure that that is something that you're thinking about and keeping in mind throughout the rest of this season. So after I finished my graduate studies, I got really interested in, well, how do we apply these same concepts to healthcare providers in, you know, just a kind of a standard U.S. big healthcare system? And I happened to be working for a very large U.S.-based healthcare system at the time. And so I had ample opportunity to start to apply what I was thinking about and start to investigate and kind of look into this. And um, so I started to focus on working with leadership teams to help them uh, pay more attention to employee well-being and to start to develop systematized processes to check in with their people and really start to have these conversations. And it was so clearly powerful um, paying attention to the relationship between leaders and the people working for them. And so I knew like, okay, I'm onto something in terms of well-being because I was seeing what was happening on the ground and hearing feedback from both the leaders that I was working with through the leadership teams and also the employees of like, hey, this feels really good to have people actually listening and caring for us and paying attention. Fast forward a little bit, and I actually had the experience of, of burning out myself. So let me just say, I had gone to a lovely bakery called The Grateful Bread in Seattle. I was still living in Seattle at the time. And my husband and I were in search of the perfect cinnamon roll. And my daughter must have been somewhere between like three and six months old at the time. So I had returned to work which was really painful for me. I did not feel ready to go back uh, after my daughter was born, but I felt like I had to. And so I made the decision out of, um, I would say, a feeling of obligation as opposed to joy or desire or readiness. So we sat in this lovely little cafe eating delicious cinnamon rolls and I broke down in tears. And I remember telling my husband, like, I am not okay. And I was just recognizing that I probably had a postpartum mood disorder, though I did not get checked out for that. If you are pregnant, if you have a young child and you're not feeling well, please go in, please see someone. Don't be like me. So I I was starting to recognize I'm not doing well after this baby. I had returned to work. And I was not doing well in the context of work. Things had been building up for me for a while, but they really came to a head in this moment where I realized I'm not okay. And I don't know what's going to happen because I was having pretty significant thoughts about being better off dead. And, um, you know, I recognized that in the recent nights before this moment in the coffee shop, 
my daughter wasn't sleeping, she'd wake up, I would just be so angry and in tears and I was not coping well with any of the stressors of my daily life. And so I had this moment where I realized like something has to change. I have to take care of myself. I have to figure out what that looks like or I'm I'm really I'm not going to be okay. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I've never been in this really depressed, anxious, distressed state before. So I am sure so much of that was postpartum. But I have to say that my postpartum period hit after that multi-year escalation towards burnout that I had been experiencing on a professional level. So these things can't really be pulled apart, or at least not cleanly and easily. But it's still so important to recognize what we're dealing with, how our circumstances are impacting us, and then to take that step back and think about what do we need to do to take care of ourselves, our people, and our systems. And so I share this story with you for a variety of reasons. (laughs) One, please, postpartum mental health, it's a thing. Please take care of yourself or your loved ones. But also, it's so important for us to recognize that we, we have to acknowledge our own human frailty and recognize that we can't do it all. So for additional context in this time, I was doing all kinds of crazy things. I had been biking to work every single day, even when pregnant, before my baby was born as a way to integrate my commute with my workout. So I was trying to be more efficient. I was trying to come up with a way to survive. After a baby was born, that was not practical, as you can probably all imagine trying to bike across town in rainy Seattle with a, an infant. <laughs> I didn't try that. So what I did instead was I kind of hyperactively attended yoga classes and I attended mindfulness classes and um, new mom groups. And I absolutely just tried so hard to fill my life with things that were nourishing, that might help me sustain myself, that might help me survive what was going on and feel like I had some kind of life preserver. And the tricky thing is that none of those things worked all that well. I mean, they might help briefly in the moment and they're all beautiful. I don't recommend you not do any of those things. But what was happening was I was ignoring the bigger context. I was aware that things like my commute were grating on me, but I wasn't really willing to be honest about the fact that my work hours were not working so well for me that I was struggling to keep up with charting or the emotional load of what I was seeing in my day-to-day work life. So there was a lot of stress and strain and you know workload productivity expectations that I was not really struggling to meet, but that were starting to take their toll on me. So a lot going on in there. And you know, for me, it was that postpartum moment that helped me see more clearly the impacts of the system. And that postpartum moment also made it impossible for me to ignore the reality. And that reality was 
that I could not overwork my way out of what was going on. And I could not self-care my way out of my burnout or the depression anxiety. But there was no way for me to independently get out of that on my own without the system changing. And so ultimately, what I decided to do was change systems. And so I thought really long and hard about what I needed in a system. So if you're listening and you're having a similar experience, you're finding yourself kind of on that hamster wheel of self-care or on the hamster wheel of working too hard, and you're recognizing this is not working, then I would encourage you to take a step back and do two things. One, connect with your why. Why are you doing this? Are you working out of a sense of obligation or are you working in response to your core values? So what's going on there? Because if you're working out of a sense of obligation, you're probably going to be burnt out or maybe you're already burnt out and that's why that's keeping you going. So take a moment to think about that. Reflect on your values and what you want to be driving you, what matters to you. And then think about how can I honor that? And then the second thing I want you to think about is what do I need to do? Do I need to change my system? Do I need to go to a different system? Do I need to just take a time out, take a sabbatical, do self-care, let myself off the hook for a while? Do I need to engage my supports or my community in a new and really powerful way. And I will say that community is really key when we're thinking about how do we address burnout effectively and sustainably, because we cannot do this alone. What we need to be doing is embedding ourselves in community and then figuring out how do we care for ourselves going forward? What does that look like? And if you're managing a team, I want you to think about my story. And really, my story is just a fill-in for anybody's story. It's just my story. But your team members have stories. You have a story. And your story is really important here. And so are theirs. So take the time to listen to the stories of your team members. And then think about what do I need to be doing to take care of these people? What can I do differently to create a healing system? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, and maybe you don't either. But I know that if you take the time to listen to yourself, to the people on your team, you're going to get so much farther, and you're going to be able to move towards creating a system that is sustainable. So over these next 10 episodes, I'm going to give you a quick preview here. We're going to spend time talking you through how to sustain your own momentum. And I absolutely start there. How to maximize leadership buy-in within your team, your department, your system. How to cultivate community or frontline engagement. Hint, this starts with values. How to elevate minority or underrepresented community members so that they have more power and a stronger voice within your team and your system. 
Then we're going to move into how to develop and implement a diverse listening toolkit that allows you to hear the diverse voices in your community. And then how to commit to a consistent listening rhythm and some ideas about what that might look like for you. We'll dig into validating distress and desires of your team, your community. And then we're going to hit into how do we respond? We've engaged, we've listened, and now what does it look like to respond? So we're going to explore how to collaboratively identify and implement systemic supports at whatever level you have a leadership role. So that could be within your team, your department, your clinic, or your whole healthcare system. There's so many options for you to take focused action and create real sustainable change. Then we'll have you move into, or we'll talk about how to move into empowering your frontline to change and doing this in a way so that it's not sneakily putting the responsibility on your community, your employees, but learning how to share power. And finally, we'll dig into how to systematize responsive feedback cycle so that it's easy for you, simple for you to be getting feedback after you take any action. All right. I hope that you find tremendous value in these next 10 episodes. I'm so excited to share them with you. And I am so privileged and honored to have you taking the time to share this time with me, to listen to my recommendations as you think through how to take better care of your employees and to move towards an organization that's characterized by well-being. Thank you for listening to Menders. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to head on over to MendingHealthSystems.com to get started creating cultural transformation for your healthcare team today. Let's create transformation magic. Music